Gospel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's start with prayer. Lord, we come to you now because you not only wrote this book, but you reveal this book. And that's what we're coming to you today for, Lord. Open our eyes that we may see wondrous things out of your law. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Matthew 11, chapter 11 here, verses 16 through 24. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you and you have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine bearer, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified over children. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell." For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Now, as soon as the Lord Jesus had prepared his disciples, they were prepared him, he says, go out, carry the gospel of the lost. He's confronted by two of the disciples of John the Baptist. They were sent there from his prison cell to ask if the question, are you really the Messiah? And and what we found is that the Lord, it was a very, very disturbing question for him, and the Lord didn't dismiss it with, uh, well, I got a lot of work to do right now, and there are so many here that are needing God, and I've got this to do. So you tell John that, John, I'm surprised at you, 
for doubting at this stage in your life. That's not what we saw the Lord do. What we saw him do is a display of what has been very typical of the Lord. We've seen it before, a warm, tender compassion. He's feeling the pain that John the Baptist is feeling, having been cast in prison by Herod. He's understanding John the Baptist's frustration and his weakness in this time of his trial. And so we saw the Lord stop what he was doing and give a display to those two uh, messengers from John the Baptist of the works of the prophet Isaiah said, these are the works that when this person does this, you'll know he's the Messiah. He did all that. And we saw how the Lord then turned and built up the reputation of John the Baptist to those who were heard, who were there. He said that he was the greatest person who was ever born of a woman. And now still the Lord has got John the Baptist on his mind. He's thinking of John the Baptist. He hasn't said, you know, okay, I've cleared John the Baptist, this distraction away from me, so now I can get on with what I planned. I sent John the Baptist's disciples away. I built them up so now I can get on with what I was planning on doing. That's not what the Lord did. No. And this is very interesting about this passage, if for no other reason, because this is just another one of the passages where the Lord Jesus has got plans, he's on his mission, he's planned out, he's expecting what he's going to do, and he's been uh, interrupted. And so the disciples of John the Baptist, they came to the Lord just when he was starting out his mission to go reach these cities in Galilee. And the Lord, we know the Lord looked forward to this time. He had prepared his 12 disciples so that they could go at the same time to those cities. And so the Lord's all set to go. And like I said, here comes this unexpected, out of the blue distraction from the disciples of John the Baptist. And it was that. And you know, it was really a, it was a shot out of the dark. It was something like, you know, your most trusted companion John the Baptist and the trusted work, well, you know what? He's in danger of denying whether or not you're the Messiah anyway. This is a distraction, just like the, the ruler of the synagogue when he came to the Lord and wanted him to heal his daughter. That was a distraction from what the Lord was doing. The centurion sending the Lord to heal his servant, we've seen that was a distraction the woman who came with the issue of blood coming behind him, touched his garment, stopped the, his whole uh, entourage there, stopped everything. That was a distraction. All these distractions. We didn't see the Lord get frustrated and dismissive of the persons who were interrupting his plans. Not at all. In fact, it was just the opposite. We saw the Lord change his plans. We saw him get put his whole heart into the person who had uh, interrupted and we know what it's like for us. We know what it's like for us in life when we made our plans, we formed our expectations, we know what we want to do, we're looking forward to it, and only to have some interruption come, you know, some phone call, some knock on the door, some, some distraction. And our response so often is to resent the interruption, to get irritated with the interrupter, and we go about to solve, okay, what's the issue? Solve whatever the issue is so we can get back to our plans. That's what we do, but it's not the example of the Lord and how he handled these interruptions in his life. What we see the Lord do, he didn't set his plans as set in stone, and if we're gonna be like the Lord in this regard, 
We're gonna watch him here with just another interruption and how he handled these interruptions, how he dealt with the interrupters, and we're gonna have to view our plans as not set in stone. We're gonna have to see God the Father with his plans for us and be willing to let God the Father change our plans through the interruptions. We have to view those who interrupt our plans as being sent by God the Father, as he did, for us to help, as he did. And we see the Lord, he's staying on the subject here of John the Baptist for these verses that we're gonna cover now, verses 16 through 24. And the Lord is thinking about how he's worked with John the Baptist, it's his colleague, he sees John the Baptist's ministry, he sees his own ministry, on a group of people, and he's thinking about this. So what's in his mind right now when he says in verse 16, he uses this term in verse 16, this generation. He says, whereunto shall I liken? So he's thinking about this generation. That was the focus on this generation. That is John the Baptist's focus, his ministry, on this generation. And now he wants to say something about this generation. He wants to make a comment on it. As a matter of fact, if we were to give a title to these verses here from verses 16 to 24, we might just call this title, This Generation. And he's now gonna speak about the people of this generation that he and John ministered to. We can imagine the Lord at this point, he's standing there. Maybe we can sort of imagine him sort of frowning and he wants to describe this generation and the thoughts that just come, it come out in these words. He's searching for the best way to express his frustration when he says in verse 16, but whereunto shall I like, I liken this generation? This one question, what's on his heart, is just coming tumbling out in this free speech as he says, hmm, how am I gonna describe this generation? And people around him at this time, they see what's in his heart, they see the frustration, and they, they see the heart of a person who doesn't know exactly how to make his hearers understand the tragedy of their lives in this generation. They see the Lord struggling with how to make this people understand what's happening to their generation. Because before the people now in the Lord is this great person described in Isaiah 9-6. Before them is this child that was born unto them, this son that was given. The government's gonna be on his shoulders his name's gonna be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's the one who is called the Wonderful Counselor. He's the one to whom man goes to receive wonderful counsel because he's the one from Isaiah 28, 29. Isaiah 28, 29. He's the Lord of hosts, which is wonderful in counsel and excellent in working. So the wonderful counselor is before them now searching for the best way to make the people understand. This is the one who is trying to find the best way to make the people get it. It's the person we know as, Colossians 2.3, Colossians 2.3, it's the person we know as in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and he's trying to find a way to express what's going on with this generation. 
He's the one who is made unto us, 1 Corinthians 1.30, 1 Corinthians 1.30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. He's the one we run to for wisdom, James 1.5. He's the one who that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and shall be given him. And so there he is, all wisdom, all knowledge, searching, looking for the way to make the people understand. The mighty God now stands before them and he's at a loss for how to make the people understand. And he asks himself the question in verse 16, whereunto shall I liken this generation? I mean, think about it. None else but the mighty God is searching for the best way to tell the people about the condition of their hearts and he's stumped with the challenge. And that's what makes this question in verse 16 so astounding to us. Because in the Bible, we're just not used to seeing God stumped and at a loss to do something and asking himself a question. Let's see, how can I make this generation understand what they are doing? Well, in this verse, he's standing back and he's looking over and he calls it this generation. Now when he says this generation, he was referring to the people who he was talking to and that were living at that time. He's referring to the people who will hear him during this really very short three years of his public ministry. And he's calling them this generation in verse 16. It's interesting how certain generations have been tagged with names. You know, for example, there was the lost generation. The lost generation were the people who were born from the years 1880 to 1900. This is the generation they were called lost because there were so many changes that were resulting that they saw this, the Industrial Revolution, they saw the age of inventions, they saw the use of the typewriter, and then they also saw some terrible things, some horrible wars, and it left this generation disoriented and shocked and they were wandering and they were without overall direction. You know, that was a generation of the throw off all inhibitions and let's go for the roaring 20s, let's just drink liquor so we have to have prohibition. And this is the generation of Ernst Hemingway and with his, uh, the, um, the sun also rises, and with him, this is the generation of the early existentials. This is the generation of Camus. This is the generation of Sartre. This is the generation of Nietzsche. This is the generation of those who, who believed that there was no God and that there was no meaning in life. This is the generation that produced these books and these movies that were the bad guys win. You know, <laughs> it's not the typical westerns of, uh, you know, our age where the good guys win. No, this is a generation where there is no meaning in life. There's no meaning. That's the lost generation. They were born between 1880 and 1900. And then following them were, was the generation that was called the greatest generation. They were the ones who were born from 1927. This is a generation that went through the Great Depression. This is the generation that went through the Great First World War. And they went through the, and this is the generation of the GIs that went through the great second world war. And slowly now we're witnessing the death of the last members of this so-called greatest generation. So these are the names 
that man has given to generations. Now the Lord looks at this generation, looks at his generation, and he calls them this generation. Now, from God's perspective, we could call the greatest generation. So easy for us to read the Bible. We read the Bible, it's like a history of man. We read through one generation to a next generation, and we fail to see sometimes the uniqueness of the generation of the Lord's day. That was a generation that saw what was, that saw many greatest, greatest. That was in a generation that the Lord called this generation. That's a generation we can call the greatest generation. For example, that was a generation that saw the greatest forerunner in history, John the Baptist. The generation that saw, as the Lord put it in uh, verse nine here, verse nine, he said, but weren't ye out for to see, a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, more than a prophet. That was the greatest generation because that was the generation that went out of their cities, went out of their villages to see not just the greatest prophet, but the man who was more than a prophet, John the Baptist. Because John was the great voice in the wilderness telling the people, get ready. The Lord's coming in human form. We know him as Jesus of Nazareth. He's coming. That was the greatest generation because that was the generation that saw the greatest visitor from heaven to earth, the one who was predicted in Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah 7.14, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. They saw God come to be with us, the Emmanuel, they saw. And as a matter of fact, He was speaking to the generation in verse 16 when he was asking what analogy should he use to describe that generation and the greatest generation because they saw for three years God who was, John 1, 1, the in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. They saw John 1, 14, John 1, 14. They saw the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, they were the ones who beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That was the greatest generation because they saw God in human form. That was the greatest generation because that was the generation that heard God make the greatest invitation to man, the greatest invitation ever made by God to man, the great invitation of Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, to 29, Matthew 11, 28 to 29, where they heard from his lips him say, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest unto your souls. That was a generation that heard, that heard from the lips of God, those words come unto me and find rest for your souls. That was the greatest invitation made to man by God because that was an invitation to for man, find rest from the soul weight and burden of your life without an eternal purpose that has hell as its final end. That was the invitation where God said, find rest from the weight on your soul and the burden of trying to self-atone for your sins by doing all these good works. That was the, the invitation, find rest from receiving a full payment, a full atonement for all your sins in the death of the Messiah Jesus. 
We get this rest by no longer being abandoned, but now becoming fully adopted as a son and a daughter of God. The rest from having every last sin blotted out of the record, your personal record by the blood of Jesus. That was the rest of having every last sin no longer be remembered by God ever again, of having every last sin that we ever did cast behind God's back, and as he does, he casts it behind his back, and it goes down to the deepest sea. That was the greatest invitation to come and receive all that rest. And since that generation heard that direction that come from the mouth of the Lord Jesus, of God in Jesus, that was what made that generation the greatest generation. That generation that the Lord was referring to at verse 16 was the greatest generation because that was the generation that saw the greatest love of God. That was the generation that witnessed John 15, 13. John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. That was the generation that saw with their own eyes, John 3, 16. They saw that God so loved the world and he gave, they saw him, God, give his only begotten son and that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was the generation that saw the greatest display of love when God the Father so loved the world that he sent, he gave God the Son to die for the sins of man and bring man from death into life, from darkness into light and from under the power of Satan to the liberty of being a child of God. This was the greatest generation because they saw the greatest love of God. That's the reason that generation was the greatest because of all the generations that lived, they saw the greatest display of the love of God. This is the generation that was the greatest because it was the generation that had the greatest responsibility to future generations. That was the generation like no other that had the responsibility to go to the world the future generations, and to say, only they could say it, we saw. We saw him, we heard him, we know firsthand that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We saw and we heard and we tell you what we saw and heard so that you should turn like we have to him. That was the responsibility they had to the world. That was the greatest generation because that was the generation that had the greatest responsibility to go and tell the world what they had seen and heard. As the Lord told the disciples of John the Baptist in Luke 7.22, Luke 7.22, then Jesus answering said unto them, go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard how the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. That was the generation that was the greatest because of all generations, that was the generation that had the greatest responsibility to go your way and tell what things you have seen and heard. So that was the greatest generation because that was the generation that should have felt the responsibility that the few disciples did feel And they were the ones, the small group, were the ones who did say in Acts 4.20, Acts 4.20, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.